welcome to CAD Speaker Series Podcast. This week, Hubert Wu, CAD Student Ambassador, will be interviewing Stephen Coltai, Managing Director of Coltai & Company and Brookings Guest Scholar on Governance Studies. Stephen just delivered a talk on his latest book, Peace Through Entrepreneurship, in which he argues that investing in entrepreneurship can positively impact not only the job market, but also security and development. Um, well, Stephen, thank you again for joining us today. Um, you've written uh, a book titled Peace Through Entrepreneurship. For the benefit of the listeners who weren't able to make it to your talk today, could you give us a brief summary of what the book is about and you know, how did it come about? When did you know you wanted to, to write it? Well, the, the, the book happened after I left um, the State Department. I, I have had this, this whole interest of mine in this subject is kind of a third career. So I was a business guy. I was an entrepreneur. I'd spent 30 years. I retired. Uh, but I've always had an interest in international affairs. I went to graduate school at Fletcher. I spent some time at the Council on Foreign Relations as a fellow. So I've always been interested in this. And um, after, you know, I, I retired pretty young, I, I got a chance to go uh, to the State Department as the first senior advisor for entrepreneurship, working for Secretary Clinton in her tenure there. And it was about uh, the fulfillment of a at least 20-year concept of mine, which is that there is a direct correlation between joblessness, particularly youth joblessness, and violence and extremism. And that's true domestically, it's true internationally, it's true universally. And at the time that I went to Washington, it was, it was, it was to, to work on this program that President Obama had started, uh, that he announced in his Cairo speech, and so I started this global entrepreneurship program. And when, after a couple of years of working there, when I was finished, I realized that um, we had only just begun. So the motivation to write the book was to extend the argument, and particularly to, to, to put forward as a, as, as a business person, as an entrepreneur, how we could pivot and do this much better than we were doing it. Because while I thought that we had the right idea, I thought that the execution was, was very much lacking. So the book is both, on the one hand, making the argument of the correlation between jobs and violence, but it's also a prescription for how to do it better. Great. Well, thanks for that. And maybe just taking a step back, you mentioned the Global Entrepreneurship Program that you were in involved in, in your time with the State Department. Um, could you unpack that just a little bit and, and uh, maybe give us a brief overview of how that builds into essentially what is extended in your book? Well, the Global Entrepreneurship Program came out of this speech, uh, the uh, New Beginnings, which, which the President gave at Cairo University very early in his uh, tenure, June of 2009. And it was the first time a president of the United States had talked about the, the importance of entrepreneurship as a foreign policy tool. So it's what I call entrepreneurship in the service of foreign policy. And the subtitle of the book is Investing in a Startup Culture for Security and Development. And I intentionally put the word security first because I believe that the single most important responsibility of government is security. It's the first thing that's mentioned in the Constitution. And um, it's where the disproportionate share of American uh, government money goes. Um, and so I wanted to make it clear that um, it's not just a nice-to-have. It's not a do-good thing. 
it's a very self-interested imperative. And no country is going to be safe and is going to be free of whether it's a terrorism, which is at the, at the, at the bottom of the pyramid, or uh, you know, state invasion at the top of the pyramid, if um, there are, is desperation among uh, particularly the young people. And that comes from grinding, crushing joblessness. And this is a way to resolve that. And so that is um, sort of what the Global Entrepreneurship Program sought to do. We worked in eight countries. Egypt, Indonesia, Turkey were the three primary countries. Lebanon, Jordan, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco were the secondary countries. Um, and that's where I developed this whole concept of a six plus six model for um, entrepreneurship ecosystem building. Great, Matt. Thanks. And um, from you mentioned this briefly in your talk that the six plus six model is is a, a part of a broader diagnostic framework that essentially helps to apply the lessons from your book to a, a whole bunch of different scenarios. Could you walk us through? I guess first, what the six plus six model is, and yep. where that fits into that process. Yeah. So, my particular bias, and I'm not the only one who has this view; many others do, is that when you when you when you're talking about improving the uh, number, increasing the number of startups in any country, so improving the ecosystem, it's not accomplished by doing just one thing. It's not about starting a business incubator. It's not about starting a venture capital fund. Um, it's about a combination of things. So you have to look at it holistically. And the 6 plus 6 model says there are six categories of activity. Identify, train, connect, and sustain, fund, enable, and celebrate entrepreneurs. And six categories of participant, corporations, foundations, universities, NGOs, investors, and government who all have to be involved in one way or another. And there are specific programs that I do through my consulting firm that bolster various combinations of those things. So as one very small example, a universal problem in, in developing countries is there is a very poor or no culture around entrepreneurship. It's very different than in developed countries where it's a cool thing to do. In developing countries, it's not. So one of the ways you address that is by the sixth pillar of my six plus six model, which is celebrating entrepreneurs, but in this case, local entrepreneurs. So when you tell the story of people who've been successful against the same adversity, that you face. So it's not Mark Zuckerberg's story, it's your story. It's your story in Ghana or Brazil or Indonesia of somebody else who surmounted those obstacles. Then all of a sudden you pay attention. Then it's more relatable. So that's an example of a program that comes from this six plus six model um, which you can then deploy on the ground. And I do that in, in my case by this thing called entrepreneurship journalism training, where we train local journalists to cover local startups better. And I bring uh, an American or European journalist from the startup scene, either digital or print, and they go do a, a, a workshop with local journalists. And it says, you know, this is where you find entrepreneurs. They're not sitting in the finance ministry. They're in the pub. And these are the questions you ask them. And by the way, here is a really cool story that came out of it, which is actually going to help you sell newspapers or get additional clicks on your on your podcast. So that then makes it relatable, and they hopefully then give it a try. Interesting. One thing which immediately comes to mind is broader institutional issues relating to the development of countries, which which might tie into a number of the places where you know your model and, and promoting entrepreneurship may be relevant. And one which comes to mind, for example, is 
is corruption. That in in many countries, I think you mentioned this as well. It's a, it's a major suppressor of su successful entrepreneurship. How do your ideas deal with these you know broad sweeping problems in countries that are deeply embedded, and you know through maybe one way of looking at things might be a challenge to achieving what your book sets out to advocate for? Well, I believe corruption, especially what they call grand corruption, is the single biggest obstacle for entrepreneurs. And in fact, if you look at the data, there's a, a very strong, almost perfect inverse correlation between corruption and entrepreneurship or a number of startups. Higher the corruption, the lower the number of startups. And that's true everywhere in the world. So one of the ways to fight it is to explain that <laughs> and to tell that story and to write about it. Um, uh, you know, one of the principles of power for, for the elites who are in power, whether they're right-wing, left-wing, or centrist, um, they're all equally afraid of large numbers of unemployed people, especially unemployed young people. Nobody wants that. So if you can explain that it is in your self-interest to make sure that this doesn't get out of hand, and the, and the proven single biggest creator of jobs, private sector jobs, mm -hmm. is through entrepreneurship, then all of a sudden you have a much more attentive listener uh, on the other side of the conversation. So um, I really believe that it's important to get out in front of uh, government officials and talk about this. And then within countries, entrepreneurship development is hyper-local. It's not national. It's very local. It's very different from one city to the next, and especially in big countries. So you can show data that entrepreneurs vote with their feet. They will move from high corruption areas to lower corruption areas. That's one of the reasons they decide to change cities. There are others as well, quality of life, availability of talent, all sorts of other things. But corruption is very high on that list, and especially in the developing world. So you find places like Ghana, for example, where half the entrepreneurs are Nigerian because the level of corruption in Nigeria is so much greater than in Ghana. Um, and the same is true internally within countries. They will move with internally. So these are all ways of simply um, shining a light on what is actually happening and let people draw their own conclusions. Great, thank you, Stephen. I um, just had one last question. So in, in light of all of that, what are two or three things that you think you know, either the US government or other governments around the world can do better today to promote entrepreneurship amongst, amongst the youth? Well, that, that is such an important question and that's really my goal of what the work I do now. So my goal is to increase both the quantity which means the dollars, or euros, or Swiss francs, or whatever currency, and the quality of programming around entrepreneurship development. Um, and that is both on a bilateral basis, so from the US government, from the Canadian government, from the German government, from the Australian government, but also from uh, a multilateral basis, the World Bank, the Asian Development Bank, et cetera. So one, one goal is to recognize that a dollar spent in this space actually has far greater impact than a dollar necessarily spent in traditional security, or for that matter, even traditional development. You know, it's the teach a man to fish versus give a man to fish sort of cost-benefit analysis. The other, from an American standpoint, <clears throat> is that 
Obviously, we are at a time of enormous change, historic change. Certainly in my lifetime, this has never happened before. Uh, I, I'm always a, an optimist. I'm always a believer that it, at times of great change, there are also great opportunities. There's a huge amount of hand-wringing about the negative aspects of this change, but I also think there are pl- positive aspects. And, and one of the positive aspects is that the new president of the United States, Donald Trump, is probably would describe himself first and foremost as an entrepreneur. So I'm hoping that making that point and showing what the international implications of that are, as well as the domestic, the domestic implications I think are clear and I think are well understood and are already a driving force of this administration. But I'm not sure the international implications are nearly as clear. And I'd like to try to use this moment in history to influence that, if possible. Um, So I'm very, actually very excited and optimistic that this time of great change may give us uh, a chance to pivot to making entrepreneurship a much more important part of foreign policy. Fantastic. Well, Stephen, thank you again so much for that, and thanks again for coming in today. Thank you. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.